Uh, Revelation chapter 3 today. Yes, continuing our way through the book of Revelation. And as we've talked about over and over again, John has uh, been given the breakdown of the entire book of Revelation of the things which he has seen, that's chapter 1, the things which are chapters 2 and 3, and the things that shall take place after this, or that must take place after this. And that's chapters 4 through the rest of the book of Revelation. And so we're still in the things which are. This is the, the letter from Jesus to his bride, to the church. And he's been writing these seven churches. And actually, a question came up the, the other day um, that I thought was worth talking about. I mentioned it, but it, keep in mind that the book of Revelation, so the, the seven letters to the churches, the entire thing, chapter 1 all the way through, was delivered to these seven churches. So when they received it, it wasn't just the letter to Sardis and, and that that's all they got, Right? They got the entire revelation delivered to them. So they read, and that's why at the end of each one, the Lord says, let the, to him who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, right? So, to all of the churches, whether it's to Sardis or to Ephesus, whoever. Uh, because this was written for each one of the churches and, of course, to the church today. And these seven churches represent every church that's ever existed. Every church body throughout all of church history fits at least one, if not more, of these seven categories. And that's probably the best way to look at these seven churches. These are seven categories that churches fall into. Not only the churches, but the people that make up the church. It, it, It applies to our lives. We can look at these churches and see our struggles. We see the things that subtly start to take us off track, just like they took these churches off track. And the answer to them are the same answers to us. right? What they have missed out on, and as the Lord is really drawing them back, and I think that's one of the best things <clears throat> with these churches, is none of them have gone too far. None of them, the Lord is like, I'm done with you. right? Now, there are a few where he says, if this doesn't take place, it's going to be really rough. right? With Ephesus, he says, I'll, I'll remove the candlesticks, right? I'll remove your purpose. You will no longer hold up my light. And that's pretty extreme, but this is him reaching out to the churches going, it's not too late for you to change and to repent and to come back to what's important. And how they see Jesus makes all the difference. That's why his description to them applies to their issue and to their repentance. With Ephesus, we saw that they were people that loved the word of God. They understood solid biblical truth. They held others to that standard. And when people didn't come across right, when they were teaching false things, Ephesus nailed them on it. But the problem was, is they weren't doing it in the love of Jesus Christ. Though they had the word, they did not love. They weren't representing Jesus' love. In fact, they've departed from it. Smyrna was a church that was doing well, um, they'd gone through a lot of persecution. They'd been gone through very hard times, but there were harder times on the way. And they could kind of see the storm on the horizon coming toward them. And the Lord doesn't rebuke them for anything, but he does warn them, stop fearing. 
Stop fearing those things which are ahead. And he tells them, it's going to get bad. In fact, it's going to be an attack from the devil himself. But it's all under my control. With Pergamos, this was a church that was beginning to compromise in the word. They were backing off from solid truth that they knew. And they were turning their ears toward uh, false teaching. And, and they, they hadn't fully embraced it, but they'd just been listening to it. They'd kind of started going in that direction. They'd started letting some of this false teaching into the body. The church Thyatira had gone even further. Not only was there false teaching happening in the church, they had embraced a false teacher to come in and teach false things and was leading the church off track. Last week we talked about the church at Sardis that uh, had... All this busyness had all this stuff going on. They had this name that they were alive, but the truth was they were dead. That nothing they were doing in all of their busyness and all their hecticness, everything that was happening, none of it had eternal weight or bearing. They weren't bringing anyone to Christ. They weren't even pointing to Jesus. It was just busyness. And on top of that, they had gotten very comfortable in their own strength, their own security, and... And again, we're missing out on everything that was important. I think it's also important to remember, and I know we still, we've got uh, the church today that we're going to look at, of Philadelphia, and we're going to go on. We'll talk about Laodicea next week. But it's important to remember with all of these churches, they started well. They all had great starts. They all started off in love with Jesus and preaching the gospel and bringing people to salvation. And these changes were very subtle over time time. Now, not all of them had gone off track. Like I said, we we saw Smyrna had gone through hard times, but they were doing pretty well. Philadelphia is the only church that there's no warning, no rebuke. There's no correction at all. And I think this is the part, you know, every time I've heard somebody teach uh, through the seven churches, everyone's like, I'm sure glad we're like Philadelphia. You know, (laughs) nobody looks at it and goes, man, we're we're a lot like Sardis, you know, that that everyone's like, oh, aren't you glad we're Philadelphia? And and man, I hope that's true. But I also hope that that as we've looked at all of the churches, we've also had our eyes wide open to go, you know what? I see my own personal life. Maybe I see our church. Maybe I see things in ministry where, man, yeah, I can see I'm starting to go off track in that. And I want to come back to knowing the person of Jesus Christ and how he's the answer to keep me from suddenly going off track. That we don't want to, you know, just look at the other churches and go, wow, they're really bad, you know. Sure glad we're Philadelphia. Um, now, Philadelphia is great, as, as we'll see, but they are not without their challenges. And, and I think in, in a lot of ways, there's, well, there's so many good things for us. It isn't just going to be looking at it going, man, Philadelphia is great, and that should be us. There's, there are some things that we really need to take a look at even as we look at the the Church of Philadelphia. So let's pray one more time, and we'll get into chapter 3. God, as always, we want to hear from you. We submit ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, that you would take your word, make it alive to us, and give it application to us individually and as a church, Lord. Help us tune our ears in to all that you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll be in chapter 3. We're going to be starting in verse 7. And it says, verse 7, 
to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength and have kept my word, not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, Philadelphia, of course, not our Philadelphia, um, was another on this trade route that we've talked about, that each of the churches appear in the same order on that trade route as they do in this letter. And Philadelphia was an interesting town. It was set apart from the others in in a couple different things. Um, First of all, it had a purpose that was established by the Greeks when the Greeks uh, established the city. And the purpose was is that from the city of Philadelphia, it would be an outreach of Greek culture. And that's something we don't really think of. I and mean, we think of it as, you know, in the terms of the church, right? That we want people to be able to come to the church and hear the gospel, hear about Jesus Christ. We also want the church being reaching out into the world and out into missions. Well, it was the same idea, only for the Greeks, it was about Greek culture. That they wanted the Greek language, Greek philosophy, even art, architecture, everything branching out from Philadelphia. And part of that was because Philadelphia was the starting point for a main highway that headed east out of Europe and and off into the unknown wilds. And it was one of the few places in, in the known world at that time that what they referred to as the unknown wilds still had like tribes of barbarians and, and just rugged people that did not want to be tamed, right? And so they were like, Philadelphia is perfect. From here, you know, the wisdom of the Greek culture will go out into the world. Well, it didn't really work, but that was the idea. Uh, also, of the, the seven cities, it was the newest. And that sounds weird because we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of years. But compared to the others, it was the newest. And it was interesting because it was constantly being made new. That It had a problem with earthquakes, and so if something wasn't built right or it had you know, weathered the test of time, when the earthquakes hit, it came down and they rebuilt it bigger and better than it was before. So it was a pretty new shining town, right, in a lot of ways. Um, it was a pretty wealthy town, but because of being, again, established with the Greek culture that then got hijacked by Rome when they took over, it had a very serious allegiance to Rome. And we've seen that with some of the other cities as well. And, and because of that, the church was, was very persecuted there, was not accepted. And, uh, and so there was some pretty serious persecution that the church in Philadelphia had been through. And the Lord really kind of addresses that as, as he describes knowing their works and the things that he's seen. But I like as, as Jesus describes himself, first of all, he doesn't... Cho- pull anything from that description in chapter 1. He actually uh, uses a a quote from a a section of Scripture in Isaiah 22, but he also tells them things they already know. Where the other ones of Jesus' description was basically saying, and here's what you forgot about who I am, and you need to be reminded about who I am. And so we give them this picture 
uh, from chapter 1. But here he tells them the things that they already know. That In verse 7, he who is holy and he who is true. Right? The church wasn't hearing that going, wow, really? I did not know that. They, they already knew. They knew that Jesus was holy. They knew that he was true. They'd seen his faithfulness and his goodness as they'd endured persecution. Um, but there's some really cool things about this description. It's really easy for us to kind of roll over this and go, yeah, holy, true, got it. Um, he's not just saying... And I think a lot of this gets lost when you translate from, from Greek to English. But there's a real depth to it that I think is important. Jesus isn't just saying, these are attributes of my character. I'm holy and I'm true. What he's saying is, I am the measurement of all holiness and all truth. That, that he's not just among those things that are true. He's not categorized as, as those things that are holy and true. All things are measured by him. That if you want something to be true, or you want to see how true it is, honestly, you compare it to Jesus Christ. If you want to know what holiness looks like, you don't look anywhere else but Jesus. That he is the complete, the completeness of it all. And really, that's, that's the other part of it, is that when the word truth, it doesn't just mean true and not false. It means the absolute, completely authentic. That there's no better version. There's no more complete truth than Jesus. Right? He said there's a depth to those things. Now he goes on to say, He who holds the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. Um, As he speaks about this key of David, and this is where he's pointing back to Isaiah chapter 22. Of course, it's not a, it's not a literal key. It's not some you know, ancient artifact, this key of David. What does it do? It, it's the idea of the absolute authority of the king. That as the king, David could speak a word and shut all of Jerusalem. And it would not open until he changed it. In fact, he could do the same thing with the entire nation. And Jesus is saying, on a much larger scale, when he speaks by his word, things are shut or they are open, and no one changes it but him. He has the final authority of the king of kings. Right? David was considered to be the pinnacle of the kings of Israel. And Jesus is saying, I'm far more than that. That he has absolute final authority and everything. And that's a great thing for us to understand. Again, we can roll over that pretty quickly. But we understand that when it comes to our lives, when it comes to opportunities we're presented with, when it comes to ministry and family or, or employment or whatever it is, we serve the king that has all authority over every door, over every lock, and every key. And what he opens, no one can shut. And what he shuts, no one can open. And again, I think we know this in our head, right? We go, yeah, of course, I, amen, I agree with that. And we will tell other people that when they're going through hard times. Hey, man, Jesus is in control, right? And again, we, we believe that. But I find that we, we don't believe it as much when it deals with us personally. We believe it for others, right? Oh, man, the Lord's in control, you're going to see. And we speak faith in their life, and that's great. But when it's us, we're like, oh, I don't know. 
And we find ourselves, or maybe I should say I find myself, beating on closed doors, going, I need in there. I need what's on the other side of this door. Jesus, open this door. Come on, man. And he's going, Jack, turn around. I'm like, well, yeah, I see that open door. I don't want to go through there. But I've opened this door. Yeah, but I see that. I can see what's on the other side of that. I'm not interested, right? <laughs> I, I want this. What's behind door number two? And we wear ourselves down. And, and instead of just going, Lord, okay, this door's not open. I don't think there's anything wrong with knocking on doors. I think there's a problem when we start, beat, start, start beating and crying at those closed doors, right? I've found in my life, that's how I discern a, a lot of things or make decisions. It's like, I kind of see this series of doors. And it's like, well, I'll knock on this one. And if it opens, I'll see what's on the other side. And we knock. No, that didn't open. And we, you know, it's kind of learning to see which one is open. And then having the faith to go through it. That's, that's challenging. But if we do, if we, if we let go of those closed doors and we prayerfully enter those doors that are opened by him, and that's important, we'll get more into that, but the doors that he has set before us, then we will be amazed at the things that he does. In verse 8, he says, I know your works. And again, this is in a real positive sense. He's not saying this in any kind of negative way or you guys haven't done enough. He's like, really, I know what you've been through. I know the things that you face. None of it has, has gone by me and, and I've, I've missed something. I've seen it all. I, I know what you've endured. I, I know what you've done. And he says, for you have a little strength and you've kept my word and not denied my name. I think a little strength is a great description. And it's an important thing for us to get. Because so often, whether we're talking about strength, or we're talking about resources, or we're talking about opportunities, we want an abundance of it. And the Lord is saying, look, with the little strength that you have, you've been faithful. You've persevered. And I've seen what you've done with a little strength. Again, in a very positive way. And I think there's a few things that could p- cause them, and again, just kind of conjecture, but I think as I think about my life, as I think about the church, there's a few things that can cause us to have a little strength. Uh, it could be pointing to the fact that there's not a lot of finances. There's not a lot of resources for them. Again, they're under persecution, and like we've talked about before, it's real common for Christians under persecution to have their property seized, to lose their jobs, to not be able to buy or sell in the marketplace. And so there's not a lot of financial or other resources available to them. So he might be saying, well, you just don't have a lot of stuff available to you in order to do things. That could be part of it. And it could also be speaking about the persecution itself, that they're just simply worn down by it, right? I mean, it wears you down. Even just life in general wears you down. But when you start to get something and it's taken from you or you're misrepresented or whatever it is, it just kind of wears you down. And again, the Lord is, is saying, I see these things, and, but I think the timing is interesting. I think this is very applicable to us as a church, because there are so many times where we can, we can look at what we have, whether that's time, or finances, or resources, or manpower, or whatever it might be, and go, well, we got a little. 
but it's not enough because we want that abundance before we go do something, right? And the Lord's saying, no, I, I see you have a little. And in, in the midst of all of this, he, he's also telling them, and see, I have set an open door before you. They don't have a lot. And he's just given them more, <laughs> more to do, right? Where you would start to look at it and go, well, can we do this? Do we have the ability to, to do this, to go through this open door? But the Lord is the one that has set it before them. Um, now, throughout, especially the New Testament, the picture of an open door, or a closed door for that matter, but most often it's in the, in the description of an open door, refers to ministry. Paul uses this term a lot when he talked about an, a door was open to us, you know. And it's, it's that idea of not just an opportunity for business or venture or whatever. It's, it's the opportunity of ministry. It's to bring the gospel to a, a place that we did not have available previously, right? And so that's the same thing, this idea of, of an open door to ministry. And we don't know what specifically it was. You know, maybe it was an opportunity to go out and do vacation Bible school with the barbarian children or something, you know, that they were going to go out into the wilds. Or maybe it was an opportunity to do something there within the city or, or who knows? We don't know. The important part is, is the Lord is the one who has set it before them. Now, I also think that they kind of had an idea that, the, that, some, that this opportunity was before them. Because he says, I have set. It's past tense. It's already been set before them. And so the way I kind of picture it is the church, you know, it's doing its thing. It's trying to just love on each other, love Jesus, get the word out. And then suddenly this opportunity of ministry gets set before them. And they're like, oh, man, <laughs> are we going to do this? This opportunity to, to do more, are we able to, you know? And I picture them starting to, well, let's see if it's from the Lord. Let's pray. Let's, let's just seek the Lord. And that's the first thing I like about how it's handled. Um, this opportunity is set before them, and they don't just jump on it, right? Not every open door that's set before us is from the Lord. And that's hard, because you can have a lot of good things that come your way, personally or as a church, Right? The people come in and say, hey, we've got this great thing we're doing, and we want you to be a part of it. And, you, and you're like, oh, okay, it sounds good, but let's, let's pray. Let's wait and see if it's from the Lord. And that that's what we see with, the, with Philadelphia, that it would seem they already saw it was there before them, and they just took time to pray. They didn't just jump into it because any opportunity was set before them. When I was in Bible college, I remember, you know, I get these little things that have stuck with me for the years, through the years, and this is one of them, is the, the guy that was teaching that night, he said, look, whatever area of ministry that you plan on going into, you need to be aware of the four biggest temptations you'll ever face. The gold, the girls, and the glory. And he said, and that's a, those are the ones that people always think, of course, if you're a girl, it's the guys, the, the gold, and the glory. But... There's one more that everybody forgets, that if the Lord can't make you bad with the first three, he will just make you busy with anything. He'll take you so far off track just being busy. And good and well-intentioned people will have lots of good ideas on how to spend your time and money. 
And we need to know that the door that's set before us is from the Lord. Because not every one of them is. And when we know that, we know it's from the Lord, man, it's exciting. I think we start to also wonder, you know, what's coming next. Well, I think, first of all, one of the things I love is that for the church in Philadelphia, again, I picture them like, okay, let's just pray about this, this opportunity, this outreach. Guys, you know, let's get together as a church and we'll pray. And what they're probably we're hoping for is maybe someone would speak a word of prophecy or or point to a scripture and that it'd all just be on the same page and like, yeah, all right, this is from the Lord. But what they get is literally a letter from Jesus. It shows up <laughs> as the book of Revelation and it says right in there, I've set this door before you. That's, hey guys, that's, that's from me. I, I just love how the Lord, to me, that's a sense of humor, right? Like the Lord is like, I'm just going to send him a letter telling him it's from me. I don't know. Okay. I thought it was funny. Nobody else does. That's fine. I think it's hilarious. So, but the other thing is, is that even when sometimes we know, okay, we think this is from the Lord, or we think there's a good chance it is, and we start going, well, okay, how long is this door of opportunity going to be open? Do we have the finances to do this? Do we have the manpower to do this? Do we have, you know, the ability to, to do this? And we can, those are good questions to ask, but the problem is that we can start asking so many questions, we forget the one question that matters. Is this from Jesus? Because if it is, it's all that matters. And we are to be wise stewards, and we are to be careful, and we are to be those people that consider the cost of building a tower, right? So we don't just rush blindly into it. We want to prepare and have vision and direction that comes from the Lord. But when we know it's from Him, then all of these things are going to fall into place. And that that's what we start looking for. Lord, we know this is from You. Now You show us how it's going to work. Again, we knock on the next door. It opens up, we go through. And on it goes. If he's the one that's in it, then there's no reason to freak out, no reason to panic. Um, and we don't need an abundance of resources. In fact, it's, it's my favorite thing to see how the Lord does so much with so little. I love it. I, I, I've seen pictures of it in Honduras and in uh, Haiti and, and in, in our little church here. You know, as I look at all the little things that throughout the year our church accomplishes and things and finances that get sent to missions groups and things like that. And you look at it and you're like, wow, our little church does that. It's pretty cool. Because I wouldn't say we have an abundance of anything. But the Lord is faithful to use what we have and just expand it. And it's super exciting. I think when it, if, if we did have tons of money, then it'd be easy just to throw money in every direction, right? And we wouldn't necessarily have to even give credit to the Lord. Just go, oh yeah, he's blessed. He's here you go, have some more money. Everybody have some money. But when you're like, we want to help, we don't know how, we're just going to pray. And then you see him come through. And you see him provide. And you see how he opens doors that nobody else could have opened. Oh, it's so exciting. I love it. And with their little strength... They have patiently endured. They've been faithful. And I think that little strength matters. That's the strength that matters. Again, it's not the abundance of strength. It's when you're tapped out. It's when you're at the end going, I got nothing left. That then you summon that last little bit of strength. You're like, we're going to get it done. Right? That's the strength that matters. That's the strength that counts. And that's what the Lord's pointing to. He's not doing this in like a degrading way. Well, you guys are just have little puny strength. He's not doing that. 
He's going, no, what you have, you've done well. What strength you have has mattered. Now, one of the other things that the church has faced in their persecution is from the Jewish leaders there in Philadelphia. And this is very similar to Smyrna, persecutions that they faced. Uh, In fact, the Lord even uses the same terminology, which is pretty rough. In verse 9, he says, Indeed, I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and to know that I have loved you. Now, just like with Smyrna, he's not saying this about all Jewish people, and he's not even saying about all Jewish people within that city. But the Jewish leaders, just like we see in the Gospels of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who were the people that were supposed to know and be looking for the Messiah, were the very ones to kill him, right? That the persecution of those that claimed to be the children of God were against those who really are the children of God, right? And, and the Lord is just, again, speaking comfort to them, going, look, these, these people that have put you down, that have caused you grief, that have done harm to you and your families, just know they're not from me. They're not my children. They say they know me, but they don't. They're lying. And, and as he speaks about this day of vindication that's coming, there's a lot to it. First of all, I think it's important to understand, he's not speaking about punishment or vengeance upon those Jewish leaders. In fact, what he's pointing to is repentance by them. And that's a beautiful thing. Again, he's not saying, oh, they're going to get it and I'm going to punish them. He's like, no, they're going to come and they're going to fall down before your feet and admit that Jesus is Lord. Man, isn't that what we want? And again, it's not that they're worshiping Christians. It's not that they're worshiping the church. It's not what it means at all. The idea is that they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ, just like Paul did, where he started off persecuting the church, hating Christians, and then met Jesus on the road, and his life was never the same. And this same event will take place with them. And not that they will be worshiping Christians. The idea is that the Jews and the Christians are going to be worshiping Jesus as believers together. Right? And it's a beautiful picture, you know. But I think there's also a prophetic side to it, especially as we are looking toward the rest of the book of Revelation, that the vast majority of the Jewish nation, the nation of Israel, does not know that Jesus is the Messiah. And they will enter into that tribulation time believing someone else is. They'll sign a covenant with him, And then halfway through the tribulation, it's going to click. That who they thought was the Messiah is the Antichrist. And that Jesus is the Messiah. And they will come to faith. It is going to be an amazing event. And again, this is is pointing to Philadelphia specifically, but I believe there is a prophetic side to it. That those who have been against Christianity, and honestly, I'd say for the most part, the church in Israel have a beautiful relationship, except they just don't know, right? But that's going to change. And they're going to come to believe and understand that Jesus is the Messiah that they have always been waiting for. All right, verse 10. It says, Because you have kept my commands to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, 
which shall come upon the whole earth, excuse me, on the whole world, to test those who dwell on the, on the earth. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear to hear, excuse me, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, Philadelphia has been through a lot, and Jesus really con- commends them for not only facing it, but how they faced it. They faced it with perseverance. They faced it with patience in the Lord, knowing that He was the one that's holy, He's the one that's true, He's the one that's faithful. And because of that perseverance, He gives them this great promise of that, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who are on the earth. Now, while they could have taken that and applied it somewhat to the persecution that they were facing, the church in Philadelphia was not unaware of the great tribulation that was on the way. They knew that this was the promise that was coming because whatever persecution they faced, it was not a trial that the entire earth faced. It's not a trial the whole world faced. And so that was the part that they would have read and went, He's speaking of the tribulation, of that great and horrible day where the tribulation begins. And again, this is prophetic. It doesn't just apply to Philadelphia. It was a promise specifically given to them, but given to the entire church to say, look, persevere. Keep loving Jesus. Keep living for Jesus, and you will escape that hour. You will escape that time of the great tribulation. Now, some people try and flip this around and they'll say, well, no, no, actually, it's saying the exact opposite. It's saying that you have to persevere through that time and he will keep you through it. Well, that's not what it says at all. In fact, when it talks about perseverance, it's past tense and it isn't keep you in that hour, it's keep you from that hour. Huge difference, right? And we'll get more into that, you know, as we uh, probably in a couple of weeks. We're going to look at Matthew 24, uh, which kind of sets the whole stage for the rest of the book of Revelation. Um, and, and we'll discuss this more. But, man, I just think this is a fantastic and great promise. Man, the, the tribulation is going to be like nothing else. That The world, the entire world, only one other time has faced an entire judgment that, that covered the earth. And that was the flood. This will be the worst seven years in all the history of the world. And the idea that the Lord desires to save us from it, take us out of it, I believe that the church being removed is the starting point of the tribulation. And he gives them this great promise. And I think it applies, right? It isn't just this random thing like, oh, hey, but guess what? You're going to miss out on the tribulation. I know things are tough now, but don't sweat it. You won't go through the tribulation, right? He's not, he's not saying that. He's going, look, no matter what you're facing now, and we will face hard times. The time leading up to the tribulation is a horrible time. Evil will be called good and good evil. And we see the beginnings of that even now. And it will get worse. There will be persecution. There will be wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and all these things. That's the lead up 
So yeah, things are going to be hard. Are we going to go through hard times? Absolutely. Are we going to go through the worst times? No. And that's great comfort. That the Lord is able to sweep us away. And along those same lines in verse 11, he says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. And that's what's next. And that's what he wanted his church knowing. That's how he wanted his church living. Not looking for the Antichrist, not looking for the mark of the beast, not looking for a one world government and all those other things. I'm coming quickly. Be looking for my return. Be looking. Be ready. Be living, knowing that I could come at any time. And he says, hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. That is not speaking of a crown of salvation. And that's important because, again, people point to that and go, see, someone can take your crown. Well, Jesus said nobody can take those out of his hands, right? It's speaking about the crown of victory. And this goes along with really the whole subject that, that we've been talking about is that we want to know that the door that's set before us is from the Lord because we want to be effective for the kingdom when we go through it. We don't want anyone to take away our victory. We don't want anybody to sidetrack us with busyness or with, with distraction, or with our own comfort. We want to be those who are looking for victory after victory for the Lord, that no one would take our crown. And it's really interesting because actually the way it's worded in the original language, it's the idea of us giving away our crown to somebody else. No, not somebody stealing it off of our heads. It's distracting us so much that we hand it over to them, Right? And then Jesus goes on to just give this eternal security. And again, I think this applied to the church of Philadelphia because their life was in, in a constant state of persecution and they didn't know what was going to come next and they didn't know what was happening. And even this open door to them, what could that mean? You know, does that mean that Rome's going to come down on them harder? There's a lot to ask questions about. So he points to the security that we have in heaven and a pillar in the temple of God. The idea that you never have to leave. That's your home. Not just on the outskirts of the city, right? Not in the suburbs of heaven, right? The new Jerusalem's here, and then Jack's house is like on the edge, way out here in the boonies, you know? It's that those who belong to God are welcome and able to be within his very temple all the time. And never go away. And he's so glad that you're there. He writes the name of his God upon you, the name of the city that you dwell in. You are his property. His Jesus' new name, don't even know what it is, will be written upon your soul for eternity. Huh. Awesome. Though we have little strength, and may we use it for the Lord. Not every door that's opened is from him. May we cautiously, prayerfully seek after him to find, the, to find the ones that are. That we might be effective for his kingdom. That we might deliver the gospel effectively to the people that he's brought into our lives. That we would know without a doubt he is the one that has full authority over every door, every lock, every key. He's never caught off guard. He never has to resort to plan B. He's, he's got it all figured out. Our job is just to faithfully walk through the doors he opens up. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so